Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. Today I want to finish up this series because next week we're going to focus all on, on our children and, and then have a great day. Sunday, if you need to be baptized, we'd sure like to get you to sign up and baptize you next Sunday, invite you all out next week and Sunday afternoon to... Uh, to the Armstrongs for a baptism and then just a time of fellowship and, and some food and, and some good times. And, and I, wanna, I also want to say thank you to, to all of you and to the City Point people, to Kim and her serve team, which did an outstanding job yesterday. Yes, go ahead. And um, as we... Uh, did the service for Tina's mom, and uh, I just thank you, thank you for that, and and I, and I think and we have been through, you know, there's been a considerable amount that, for me personally, that was the fourth funeral yesterday of the week, for me, and uh, that I, you know, was at or conducted, and um, but uh, you know, and, and there's a time for that, and and that certainly we're not complaining, but. But uh, that's all part of it. But next Sunday is a time of just, let's just fellowship and celebrate and, and get together and, and just, you know, enjoy each other. And I'm looking forward to that. I really am. I just, have, I just love life. I do. I love life. I had a great time yesterday with my buddy Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. We hung out together. It was a blast. And... Um, and there was, I, I just love life, and I want to enjoy that life. And I, I'm here to help challenge you in this walk. And so this morning, it just flows in. I want to, I want to share with you this. I want to, we're going to go to a, I'm going to show you a verse in Genesis that's going to include this phrase, this time. This time, I will. And uh, I know most of us, through experience, you know, is how we, how we learn. And, you know, usually as a result of our experiences and we go through something and maybe it doesn't turn out like we had expected or it just turns out badly and flat out is a, is a mess, we say things like this. You ever said this? Next time. You ever said that? Next time. Or, or you said that will never happen again. How many of you ever said that? How many of you ever made this mistake? I will never do that again. I've learned in 62 years you should never say never. I mean, because, you know, we do go through experiences. We come out of that, and when it turns out, we say, you know, that's the last time that'll ever happen. Next time I'll do this different or whatever. And see, here's the thing. You know, that's all part of the experiences that we call life. We are told that experience is the best teacher. I don't really agree with that statement wholeheartedly, um, you know, because experience can be painful. I read a quote by Mark Twain, who, who was a man who came up with, he has hundreds of great uh, sayings and things, but this one is my favorite that Twain said. He said, uh, he said, good judgment is the result of experience, and experience is, is the result of bad judgment. You'll have to think on that. <laughs> but, but like another thing that he said was that if a cat sits on a hot stove, that cat won't sit on a hot stove again. But that cat won't sit on a cold one either. That cat just won't like stoves. Now think about it, that's, that's so true. If you've ever got burned, what we say is, I'll, I'm not going to do that again, I'll never get burned again, but, but inevitably... We form these things and say, I- I'm never going to do that, but if you're, if you're not careful, you will cut yourself off from what God is trying to unfold. For example, if, if you have a failed dream, don't give up on your dream. Come 
You just have to back up and say, well, what is the route that God's trying to get me to this thing? Because you're going to get disappointed. You're going to get hurt in life. You're going you're gonna to go through some things, and, and, and that's, that's inevitable. Pain, disappointment is in, inevitable in life. I don't know where we got the idea and it, where it's purported in, in Christianity, you know, that, that if, you get, if you serve Jesus, you'll never be disappointed or sur- suffer any pain again. That's just not true. Paul suffered great pain. He writes very right, clearly about the things that he had suffered even for the gospel. So most of us, though, our, our experience of disappointment has a way of never leaving us. It enters us like a fire and then it hardens in our heart like lava as it flows down and then hits the water and solidifies. That's what hurt and disappointment does in many people's hearts. Setbacks leave us cautious. Now listen, this is is just what happens. See, when you go through experience and you have a tough experience and and, and you get hurt, your your experience can make you extremely cautious. And so cautious that you'll never take a step of faith. Because faith is basically the willingness to take a risk. So you know it's true. After you've been hurt, you get cautious. If you've been hurt in a relationship, what do you tend to do? You give up on the relationship. You remove yourself. You go away. That's this third definition that this is part three of of that third part of the message. (laughs) Figure that out. And so, but I'm, I'm trying to help you today because what I've seen in my experience is that when you get hurt, then you get cautious and you get very guarded And when you get guarded, you stop taking risks or steps of faith. And it's without faith, life just has a way of sucking the life out of you. Hello? And life isn't supposed to suck the life out of you. I'm glad one person is thinking with me today. So if you're not careful, experience teaches you to be cautious instead of being willing to take a risk. Experience will teach you to be suspicious. Because you're always like, it's, somebody wants to come along. Here, here's how this worked in my life one time. I'd, I'd taken a series of hits, you know, in, in, uh, in ministry, you know, and disappointments in ministry and people who had promised things and let down and whatever. And then someone, God sent someone to, to bless me and to help me in a situation. But because of my experience, you know what my mind was telling me? Hmm, what are they up to? All of a sudden, I became suspicious. Am I being too real with you? Because that's how you do too. And you start being suspicious of people. What's that pastor up to? What's that, what's that guy up to? What's that gal up to? What's, what's my boss up to? I don't get it. Why is he being nice to me all of a sudden? See, we can't enjoy, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I just got blessed. Thank you, Lord. My boss just honored me and favored me. It's like, I ain't buying it. And so you see, experiences teach us to be suspicious instead of trusting. Experience teaches us to be fearful. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I'm afraid this won't work out. I'm afraid it's only going to end like everything ends. And we start living out of our fear instead of our faithfulness. Because God promises you if you'll be faithful, he will see that you reap the reward and walk in the fulfillment of the fruit if you're not, if you don't give up. Amen? Amen. But many times our experiences teaches us to be fearful. I'm just afraid. I mean, if you're afraid, you can't be faithful. You'll stop. You'll come short of walking out the fulfillment of what you do. I I watch people many times get right to the precipice of the breakthrough and stop because their experience says you've never got to this next part 
and what makes you think you're going to get there now. But a heart, heart full of faith says, God, you brought me to this, you brought me to this breakthrough so I could get to the other side. And so many people are cynical instead of joyful. <laughs> like this is the spirit of Northwest Indiana, if I ever could identify one. Y'all are some of the most cynical people I have ever seen in my life. You, you notice my cynicism in that? Yeah, because I'm guilty too. I, am, I have found myself, to, when, remember back a year ago when we went on the negativity fast? Y'all, I know most of y'all didn't because y'all are so negative. <laughs> it won't work. Duh. <laughs> I've tried that negativity thing and nothing, that nothing, nothing works for me. I, I'm always going to be negative. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I go on this negativity fast and, I, and God just shows me just how cynical I am. I mean, I'm just, I'm just cynical. I, I, can just, I can just cut through anything and, 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 and tear it up and tear it down. And I'm just being honest and real with you. And so, that, so through that whole negativity fast, and I'm, I watch my cynicism, watch not just what you say, but the tone in which you say it. <laughs> Some of y'all come in, well, I never say anything negative. No, but your body language does. Talk to the hand. Hey. Yeah. And so we're hateful sometimes instead of loving. Because when you get hurt, you tend to, you tend to guard your heart and say, well, I'm never going to be vulnerable again. So you start getting hateful as a form of protection. Man, this is going to really be good today. Because I'm just, I'm just telling you, a lot of people, you, you are really loving. Underneath it all, you are a really loving person, but you carry so much hurt and residue from your past that you have built up a, an outer protective shell. I call it the turtle wax shine. You know what? Remember turtle? This is the trouble that I'm so old, y'all don't even know. Turtle wax was a car wax that they said, you said, use turtle wax. Nothing can penetrate it. That's a lot of your hearts. You have waxed yourself over with the resolutions that I will not get hurt again until you have a turtle wax shine. Nothing can penetrate your heart. Because that's what you do when you get hurt. You, you get like that turtle. Shine me because you ain't going to hurt me. But the trouble is, if you won't open yourself up to the vulnerability of the chance that you can be hurt, you can never open yourself up to the possibility that you can be blessed. <laughs> Somebody ought to tweet that really right there. That's, that's good stuff. Experience will teach you to be bitter instead of better. The Bible says that God brings correction to us in order to, to correct us and to bring forth more grace in us. But when experience comes, here's the thing. It's either going to make you bitter or it's going to make you better. And if you, if, you, if you allow bitterness in, Hebrews 12 says it just takes a little root I was going to do it this morning, but I couldn't find, I forgot that the neighbor let his garden go. He's not planting anymore. And I, 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 I could have grabbed one of Terry's really pretty flowers. I wanted to rip something up by the roots. How about we try your hair? Let's see. Let's see. No, let's go on. And so... And so I, what I wanted to do was pull up something like a, 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 a fruitful or flower and pull it up by the roots. And then I thought, well, it'd be also too, then I want to pull up a weed. And I want to shake it all off where you can see the roots. Because here's what I've noticed. If you, if you don't look at, if you, if you just take the root, they look really, they kind of look similar. 
But the roots produce two different things. A root of bitterness is going to produce something in your life. All that stuff on the left, why, that's why I put bitterness last. Bitterness will produce all of those things on the left. The writer of Hebrews said, Beware lest any root of bitterness springing up in you trouble you. It brings trouble into your life. It, it brings all kinds of negativity. It brings all kinds of problems. It opens the door to all kinds of, uh, of darkness in your world and un, unhappiness and unfulfilled expectations because bitterness is, is an unfulfilled desire. Say this again. Write this down. Bitterness is an unfulfilled desire. Bitterness is an unfulfilled desire. Are you with me? Let, me? let me give you a verse for this. I think I had a verse for this. Hope, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred. Deferred means it's an unfulfilled desire. Deferred. You're removed. A hope that is removed, an unfulfilled desire, makes the heart sick. It opens the heart and there's a temptation on every one of us, and I'm just, I'm just being real with you. Every unfulfilled desire carries with it a root of bitterness. And if you open the door to it, that root of bitterness comes in and takes its place in your heart. And what happens when a root takes a place in your heart? It starts to produce a fruit. Because every root produces a fruit. If you take the root of righteousness, the branch of David, Jesus Christ, and you plant Jesus in your heart, the root of Jesus will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, temperance, long-suffering. Hallelujah. There's nine of them, right? Galatians 5. You can check me on that. And, and so, but... The root of bitterness that springs from a deferred hope opens the door to bitter. You say, well, pastor, my Christians shouldn't be bitter. Exactly. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. But how, let me ask you a question. How many of you as a Christian have had to fight bitterness? If you have not raised your hand, you're a liar. Oh, I mean that in the sweetest possible way. Because we've all been tempted to become bitter when we are removed from our hope. I hope my marriage is this fulfilling, beautiful thing. And when the hope is deferred, you get bitter. I hope life is good and full of blessing and, and full of joy. But when life hands you lemons, you get bitter. I could go on. We could put anything in there. We can put, you can put your job. You can put your kids. You can put all kinds of things in that hope and your hope. It's not, there's nothing wrong with having a hope, you understand. But it's also understanding that, that you have to put your desire for this in the hand of the Lord. When you are removed from your hope, you are removed from your desire. That is so, that's so important that you get that. When you are removed from your hope, you're removed from your desire. Hope deferred makes the heart sick but when the desire comes it is a tree get it why does it use the word tree because of the root when desire is fulfilled it releases into your root system the hope and the promise of god and it imparts life to you can you say amen now, that's a really good place to shout right there. I don't know what's, what y'all waiting for. It don't get any better. But here's, I want to back up to Proverbs 18, 19. Because when you're offended or when you get off-ended, that's, that's what an offense is. You get off-ended. You get deferred in, in your expectation. You get removed from your hope. And, and, and when, you know when you, when you run into someone who's offended, now get this. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Yeah. 
Why, why is it hard to win an offended brother or sister or husband or wife or son or daughter or close friend? Why is it hard to win them? Because they're closed up and hidden behind the wall of the city. A strong city in biblical times was a fortified city. A fortified city was a city that had a wall built around it. And when the enemy would come upon a city that was fortified, they would retreat into the walls of the city and fight from the high places, the strong towers. And see, there's two kinds of strongholds. I know we preach a lot about the strongholds of Satan, but I'm here to tell you today, I want you to hear this with me. Psalm says that the Lord is my stronghold. God, God has a stronghold that when you're under attack, you can run into him, and he is your refuge and your strength in the time of trouble, and he will hide you, and he will protect you, and he will defend you. You do not have to defend yourself. You do not have to fight and come out fighting. You can hide in him, and he will take up your cause, and you will come out the other side, and you will be blessed and fulfilled. Or, or, <laughs> Satan can become the stronghold, and you run into your hurt. How many of you know there's a big difference between running into Jesus and running into your hurt? When you run into your hurt, you become a victim. And when you become a victim... Bitterness springs up. Every victim is bitter. Do you ever notice people then who are victims become entitled? And you can never meet their need. And they will carry their bitterness on no matter what you do. Because a brother to be, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Can I just tell you something today? Your offense is not imprisoning the person who you're offended against. Your offense is imprisoning you. Joyce Meyer says, being bitter is like drinking poison and hoping your enemy dies. I've drank a few shots of poison and I've wished for my enemy's demise. I've been like Peter and John. Lord, I, I, one time I caught myself praying. I was like, God, send fire and just burn them. And, uh, and, and God, I, mean, I could just see him up in heaven going, really? That's really not my nature. Didn't Jesus rebuke the disciples? They said, Lord, we saw these guys preaching, and they're not with us. Should we, should we call fire down from heaven? And Jesus said, you don't even know what manner of spirit you are. Whew. Hello. Wounds off end us, causing us to close up, to run, to retreat into our wound, into our hurt, and they become a stronghold too. So you have two options. You can run into your hurt become a victim and set up a, a defense, but you don't know what they did to me, Pastor Mike. You're right, I don't know, but I know your bitterness is not going to help you one iota. Many people are bitter against people who can't, who are even gone. One person shared with me a while back that they were bitter against their father. And I said, well, let's get him and let's sit down. I mean, that's the best thing, right? Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's, talk. let's get it out. Let's talk. Oh, I can't. My father's dead. Your father's dead. Yeah, he's been dead for 15 years. And I said, you held on to a bitterness 
against a man who's dead? So how's that working out for you? Because what, see, what they've done by nursing their hurt is kept that bitterness alive for 15 years. But here's the beauty of this. And this is what the Lord shared with us this morning, wasn't it? The Lord is really near the brokenhearted. And he's nigh unto them that are of a contrite heart. That's what the Bible says. So if you're offended, if you're bitter this morning, if you have someone that you, you need to forgive, it doesn't matter if they're alive or dead. In fact, it doesn't matter anything really about them. What it matters and what it counts to is about you. And what are you going to do with it? Because it'll offend you from your desires. It'll set you aside from your hope. It'll take your life from you. I've never seen a bitter person happy. I've ne never seen a bitter person with a sense of fulfillment. I've never seen a bitter person who, was, who would say, my life is great. I've, I've seen bitterness in how it eats the life out of people and sucks the life out of them. And so here's, here's where I want to go, and I, I want to get to this and. And, and, and really share this in a minute. It's our desires and the degree of their fulfillment that produces joy or sorrow in our lives. But even our most basic desires can enslave us when they become the reason for our existence. Now, that's, you really have to let that soak in because I, I just have to take one second and explain that. Do you know that we can turn the blessing of God that we're seeking into an idol because many people today that they're seeking fulfillment not Jesus and much of the gospel that's being preached today is a gospel of fulfillment not the gospel of Jesus and his salvation because the gospel of Jesus is Christ-centric and the gospel of fulfillment is self-centric. And if listen to me, if you come to Jesus just to get your desire met, the only thing that will keep you in Jesus is when your desires become the center of the universe. And the gospel is about Jesus. We talked about it last week out of Colossians that in Christ Jesus, he would be preeminent. So in the preeminence of Jesus, he wants to fulfill our desires. Don't get me wrong. But here's how he fulfills our desires. He turns our heart completely over to him where he becomes the sinner. And, and I, I, I want to go along. Matthew 6, you know this verse. Uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the King James. This is in the, the uh, Passion. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. That's what we should be doing. This is a, pre, pre, uh, excuse me, a, a prioritization, a reprioritization, if you will. God knows, if you read the, this sixth chapter of Matthew, he talks about all the things that we are chasing, clothes and food and, 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 and all the stuff that we live for. And, and Jesus is teaching and says, don't go after these things. Your father knows that you have need of them. So it's not that you can't, it's not that God knows that we don't have need of things and desire things. It's just a prioritization. What are we going for in the first, in the first place of our life? And Jesus says, you put me in there. Put me in there. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow. But deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. So what is your challenge today? Listen to me, what is your challenge? What is the challenge in front of you today? And if you'll think about it, your, your, your biggest concerns involve relationships and the people around you. And the temptation is with the people around you to become bitter instead of better. But if Jesus is the center of your life, then your heart is to establish his righteousness. 
Many of us, many of us don't have a problem confronting people, but the motivation behind it is because we want to prove ourselves right and not prove the kingdom of God is really supreme in our lives. I need to move along quickly because I could spend a whole day here. Really, I could. But, 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 I, but you understand this. We're talking about a reprioritization of our lives. What is God trying to do for you today? What is God speaking? I believe, I believe in this time today, God was speaking to hearts. Let me just rephrase that. God is speaking to hearts. So, some of you, from the beginning, even as I've been talking through, there, you feel something burning in your heart. And, 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 you know, somebody came up to me the other day and said, have you been reading my mail? And I said, no, but I think God has. God knows what you're dealing with. God knows what you're struggling with. Don't put on that plastic smile and drag it in here and act like nothing's going on. God wants to heal you. He wants, to, he wants to turn your heart toward him so he can add all these less important things. But most of all, it said he can give you the most important thing, the pearl of great price, which is Jesus and the manifestation of his life in you. And Father, I just pray for that release right now. That this isn't a religion. This is a relationship. But you see, your relationship with Jesus will never exceed your relationship with others, because how can you love God who you can't see? So I'm going to use Leah, and I'm going to close. Will you give me a few more minutes? I'm serious. Just a few minutes. All right. I'm going to tell the truth. Give me an hour and a half. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So I'm going to talk to you about Leah and her experience. And I, I put this up here. Can you feel it? I use the you because I want you to, I, I, I have this awful habit of using these alliterations and things. It's, but it's, it get, I can remember them like this. So number one, if you know, you, you all know who Leah is, Right? Leah was Jacob's wife. Jacob, who went, left his father's house, left Isaac to go, to, go get his, to go get a bride. He was told not to go to the heathens, but go to his, go to his heirs, his, uh, Jacob's heirs, his family. Laban was, his, was a, re, a relative of, of, the, of the tribe. And uh, Jacob goes into Laban's uh, territory there he meets Rachel, and he falls in love with Rachel because Rachel is beautiful. And he is smitten. And the Bible says that he, he loved Rachel because she was very beautiful. Now, when it talks about Leah, it says Leah was not beautiful. It, 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 you, when you read it, it's in Genesis 29. It actually says that Leah was unattractive. And, the, and I'm telling you, you don't have to read into it. I'm not reading into it. It just says that she was not attractive. It doesn't come out and say she was ugly. It just mentions that she was not attractive. Are you with me? And here's the thing. So she's got this thing where she, she, she understands that she's not attractive. She's got a beautiful sister. But here's the thing about beauty. I mean, they did a survey of like a hundred and something uh, beauty pageant people. I mean, these are some of the most beautiful women on the planet, right? And 85% of them said they felt ugly. Because beauty really isn't about what's on the outside. Beauty is something that has to happen here. And so once you get settled with what happens here, then, then you know, then you don't have to be in competition with your sister or with anybody else, but Leah had that sense of, I'm unattractive. Number two, it says she was unwanted. 
Notice she was the oldest sister, and in their, in their traditions, the oldest sister had to go first. It had to be married first, and, and, they, and, and, and yet she was oldest and in the house still. Uh, Jacob wants Rachel, and nobody wanted Leah. How many of you ever had that feeling like you're unwanted? You ever fought like a, You ever remember in school when they're picking teams and you were the last person picked? You don't want me? Yeah, we'll take this guy over here. After they picked everybody, I, I, I've been there. I've, that's part of, you know, we, we feel unwanted. You can, you can go through your whole life. Some of you sitting here today, you're grown adults, but you still struggle with this sense of what am I here for? Number three, she was unloved. The scripture flat says Jacob loved Rachel and he hated Leah. Now, in, in the Old Testament, you know, the word hate there means to love less. It wasn't like he hated her, like, I hate you. He, the, he loved her a lot less. But she had that sense of being unloved. So this was Leah's life. And, and Jacob worked seven years. You know this story, right? Jacob worked seven years. And then he gets, he gets to the place where Laban says, all right, let's do this. And they, they have a wedding. And he marries what he thought was, <laughs> this is funny because here's the thing, yeah, you know, you reap what you sow. Do you know that? Wasn't Jacob the conniver, the one who was, he stole his brother's birthright because he posed as his brother by cutting up a goat and putting it on his hairy, hairless arms because his brother was hairy and he stole his brother's birthright. He got his, uh, his he got his, his uh, gave him a bowl of soup and traded it. I mean, J- Jacob was always on the he, he, his name means heel grabber because he came out of the womb second, grabbing Esau's heel, and he was always grabbing something that didn't belong. He was a, he was a conniver. So guess what happens? He marries who he thinks was Rachel. She's got the whole wedding garment and the veil. He gets in the nuptial tent that night, and guess what happens? Ho! What? What? I got tricked. That had to be one heck of a honeymoon night right there. Come on now. I can't go there. I should go there. But I'm not going to go there. He goes to see Laban. He says, hey, what do you think you're doing? Granted, a week later, he gets, he gets Rachel. Now he's got two wives, but he has to work another seven years for her. You see the irony in all that? Anyway, here's where it gets interesting. The, the Lord, and you heard this today already, the Lord is drawn to the hurting. In Genesis 29, 31, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. The Lord is drawn to the hurting. If you're sitting here today and you're hurting, I want you to know you have the Lord's attention because his heart is toward the hurting. You may think, well, nobody cares, nobody understands, nobody even knows what I'm going through. It says, when the Lord saw, everybody say saw. What happened? The Lord saw that she was unloved. He sensed her rejection, her, unattract, her sense of unattractiveness, her low, her low esteem, and her, her, he sensed her, her, all the unloving things that, that, that she was overwhelmed with. And when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, listen, he opened her womb. So the Lord brought a blessing because in that desire, I'm sure she, she had this desire to be a mother and Jacob was promised to be a, a, the father along with the seed of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob had no children yet and, and it was probably understood that Rachel would be this one. But Jacob would have 12 sons, 12 sons that would make up the tribes of Israel and the Lord opened her womb, at, but Rachel was barren. Hmm. 
And so get this, verse 32. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Every one of these names of these sons that Leah gives birth to has significance. The name Reuben means the Lord saw. That, see what it says? The Lord saw my affliction. The Lord has seen my affliction. That's what the, word, the name Reuben means. The Lord saw. And so she named him Reuben. The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. I get this. She thinks that she's going to have this child, this blessing's coming. God unfolded this blessing to her, and she thought that, that this was going to turn everything around because this was, going to make, this was going to make her husband love her. Do you see a problem with that? Do you see there's an unfulfilled desire here? And how many of you know Jacob didn't, his heart did not change toward her when she gave him this son? In fact, read on to the next verse, verse 33. Then she conceived again. Everybody say again. And she bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. You know what the name Simeon means? The Lord heard. Reuben means the Lord saw. Simeon means the Lord heard. And she, she says, she's, the Lord heard I am unloved. Now she's, he's given me this son. And now Jacob's love is going to be directed toward me. She's doing this same thing again because she's, she's mixed up the idea that God's blessing is, is the same as the getting your will over someone else. She was trying to get her will on Jacob. Do you, do you understand? Are you with me? Here's why I'm trying to, I'm trying to help some people here because some of you are trying to make people love you. You're trying to make people accept you. You're doing stupid things thinking that you're going to turn them around. And if you're not careful, you'll become easily coerced, easily manipulated, easily controlled because of this love thing. Willard Waller, who was a, 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 from, this is interesting, his name is Willard Walla from Walla Walla, Washington, or Willard, Willard Wallard from Walla Walla, Washington. He taught in Washington State as a professor, he's a sociologist. He made this observation. He said, in relationships, he who loves the least has the most power. Because that person who loves the least will use your love to work to their advantage. And if they're self-centered and self-absorbed, you'll be used and you will be an enabler and you will be partner with your own demise. But I love him. Really? She's, she's popping out babies thinking Jacob's going to love me. God's going to, listen, if God can open my womb, surely he can open Jacob's heart. Hallelujah. Did Jacob's heart open? It didn't. She goes on and has another one. We're almost there. Genesis 29, 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. He'll become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name was called Levi. You know what Levi means? Attached. Do you see her desire that's unfulfilled? Keeps springing up, but she keeps getting rejected. She keeps failing to find her husband's love. And this can, this can work in all kinds of different applications, but what I'm telling you is that she was thinking that the blessing that God was giving to her was going to take the place of this absence of love in her life. And God just kept trying to turn her heart, turn her heart, turn her heart, because here's, here's what happens. God's blessing is to turn you toward his face. 
And it's easy to mistake the thing that God does for you for the work he does in you. All right, let me read one more verse. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So get this picture. On the fourth son, she realized this isn't something God's doing just for me. There's something God is doing in me. And what he's doing is turning my desire toward him. And now because of this fourth son, I'm going to call him Judah. Judah means praise. And the one thing you got to understand is when you come into the position and the posture of praise, there's no more room for yourself. There's only room for one in that throne. And there's only one person who can sit on that throne. And his name is Jesus. And when you come into the realization that God just doesn't do things for me, that he's doing something in me. And when he does this thing in me, he's turning my heart toward him in worship. And when I become a worshiper, I get changed, transformed into his very image. And when this thing blows out in my life, it shows that I'm here not just to bear sons. I'm not here just to get a blessing. I'm not here just to get my desires fulfilled. I'm here for the glory of God. And that's all I need to know. <laughs> Judah first. Judah first. Judah first. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. But when your desire is fulfilled, what desire? Your desire for Jesus has to become first. Because when you put anything in that place, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. And there's some of you sitting here, you have got things you're, you're expecting, you're praying, fasting, seeking God for. I know I'm one of them. See, I want a revival. I want a revival in this region. I want, a, I want an awakening. I feel it in my bones that he's about to move. But I got, I got corrected. I got corrected because I've realized I can't, I can't make this move of God the substitute for God. Because it'll get really weird and crazy if you substitute the move of God for the face of God. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that one thing will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and behold his beauty. It has to be about him. Bow your heads with me. Glory to God. So let me ask you, has the thing that you're desiring become like an idol to you? I, I'm, I'm not saying this in a mean, vicious kind of way because I'm telling you from experience, I know how this works, that the thing that I have desired sometimes has taken precedence over him. How? I don't want anything to take the place of the Lord. I found my yearnings and my desires sometimes that have squeezed me and, and become an obsession to me. And, and I have to, and there's times the Lord has to take me into the presence and say, hey, Mike, it's me you're looking for. It's, it's me you're looking for. Don't mistake it, Mike. It's me you're looking for. And then when you get into that place, you start praising the Lord. Judah becomes everything because it's all about him. And I realize, God, I delight myself in you. See, here's what the scripture says. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I've heard this thing preached all kinds of different ways. But I think it means exactly what it says. That if you delight yourself in the Lord, you put the Lord first, 
two things are going to happen. The Lord is going to put his desires in you, and then he's going to fulfill them because you have put him first. Delight yourself in the Lord. If your delight is only in getting the answer, then the thing that you're desiring could actually become a stumbling block to you. Leah finally got it, and she finally found happiness and joy and peace and, and a release from the contentions and the, and the offenses and the weaknesses of her heart. The fears, the insecurities left, and she found her fulfillment in God. And it didn't matter then after that what Jacob did. She found her source, her well, her life. So, Father, today, wow. Lord, you know our desires. You know our hearts here today. And God, we're here today to delight ourselves in you. And then you will give us the desires of our heart. But God, you're not going to give us the desires of our heart until we find our delight in you. So Lord, I ask that you release your presence right here, right now, to root out, to pull down, to pluck up, to destroy everything that's been built other than on you and in you and through you. That we would build and plant, God, I pray for every root of bitterness to be plucked up and removed from our hearts and our lives. Every unfulfilled desire that we're wrestling and we're, we're angry about and frustrated about and, and, and fearing over and worrying about today, God, that you pluck that up and you remove it from our hearts today. So, Lord, I pray that in the release of this, you will just, you will just move this morning. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.